We'll go from there. Hey everyone, welcome to another great episode of Don't Outkick Your Coverage. And today I'm, I'm honored to have on with me a guy that I've known for many, many years. And I know his, know his parents for many years as well. Scott Meyer. Scott Meyer was a long snapper at the University of Alabama. Uh, he played on a national championship team and played in, I think, three of the national uh, championships and then two uh, SECs. So uh, Scott today is going to give us uh, some of his background and the things he did as a as a young man, and then his uh, his view of long snapping and coaches and all the things we try to talk about. And again, remember, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is the only true podcast dedicated one hundred percent for the high school athletes and the parents of high school athletes. So with that, Scott Meyer, welcome to Donut Kicker Coverage, and how are you doing today? Well, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. It's happy Friday, so feeling yeah. good. Happy Friday, as we say in the army. You know, every day above ground's a good day. So you know, we're uh, we're we're good to go. Yes, sir. So, uh, you know, Scott. <clears throat> one of the questions I always try to start out, especially with athletes like yourself, and uh, I've asked uh, Tyler Newsom, and he was on a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's really more about what? Why did you start on this journey of wanting to be like a long snapper? And can you share some of your background with us and those who don't know the path and what it takes to become someone in your field? Like, for instance, I'm sure when your when your dad, Stu, um, was uh, first at the hospital, he didn't probably look at your hands and go, oh, my God, look at the size of the hands on him. He's going to be a long snapper. Uh, it, now, it could have been. He could have said that to you, but I doubt that. So can you share with us a little bit of that journey and how you uh, got to want to be doing this? Yeah, when I was younger, we were uh, we were at a Falcons game and we were watching the you know the kicker punter snapper warm up and mm -hmm. uh, he kind of just pointed out I was probably in like eleven maybe eleven or twelve and he pointed out you know see that guy over there that's a long snapper um, greatest job in the NFL best way to get to the NFL <laughs> and um, I, I was playing center at the time like I played center growing up and so but I was never the long snapper and then. When I was going into high school, um, I met with the high school varsity coach, who I had also known when I was in middle school. He was at the school I was before, uh, Coach McFarland, that you know. And right, um, right, was he at Cambridge or was he at B someplace? He was at, at Kings Ridge. Kings Ridge, yeah, okay. And uh, when we were like talking, I was like, "Oh, by the way, I also want to learn how to long snap." And he goes, "Oh, well, that's great. You know, we have a five-star long snapper here that's going to teach you." He just accepted a full scholarship to Louisiana Tech. And I was like, "Oh, great!" So then, uh, was that going, Etheridge? Was that Etheridge? Yeah, Etheridge? it was. Yeah, it was Tucker Etheridge. Tucker, okay. Yeah, and then uh, going into freshman year, I broke my foot. Of uh, freshman year of high school, I broke my foot. So I was sidelined. So I was just hanging out on the sideline, and you know, who else is hanging on the sideline? Was the long snapper and punter. So I kind of, I just walked over to him. I was like, Hey, coach McFarland told me to ask you to teach me to long snap. And uh, you know, you know, Tucker at first, he's like a little standoff yeah. about it. And then he really took me under his wing and gave me lessons um, every day at practice. And then when his season was over, you know, a few times a week, like he really took a lot of time to teach me. And so that's how I learned how to snap. He brought me to all the camps in the beginning and introduced me to the, you know, the all the, the ranking camps, the weekly stuff, the training session, everything. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then soft going into sophomore year, since Tucker was gone, 
um, you know, I was the only one really training to be the long snapper. There was a kid, Matthew Kastner, who also was a really good snapper, but he was a great offensive lineman. He was just naturally great at snapping. And um, it was between us two, and I guess your son, MC, picked me, or I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. So, well, I think your mother I think your mother paid him off. I think your mother paid uh, up MC, gave him a couple of hundred hours, and, you know. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> but we had a, that first, yeah, first year on varsity was my sophomore year, which is – I guess my after my first full year of learning how to snap. So that's how the high school journey went. And that's how, you know, those three years after that just kept trying to perfect the craft. Yeah. Okay. Now, did you play other sports? I think you were a baseball player. Yes or no? If I yeah, remember yeah. early so, on. Baseball player growing up. And then I stopped playing baseball after my freshman year of high school. So, uh, and then I just did the, honestly, like when I stopped baseball, I also – I played offensive line still for, like, another year. Offensive line, defense line for, like, another year. So, yeah. like, through my sophomore year. And then junior, senior year, I just was only long snapping. That was kind of when I, like, locked in and focused in on, like, what I want to do and how I want to get to college. So. Okay. Yeah, I, I know that um, there's always <laughs> been this fallacy. And I do call it a fallacy and a myth because, you know, when I grew up, you know, 1845, you know, we always played three sports. Um but back then is because primarily my mom had seven kids. My, oh, my mom and dad, you know, were around. And next thing you know, my mom would say, hey, if you come in the house, I'm going to put you to work. So we were always out. We were mm -hmm. never inside the house. We, we played sports as long as we could. And, you know, we never really focused on one sport. I, of course, I got better in soccer when I got, you know, all my recognitions and, and, and then, of course, football. But, you know, nowadays, Scott, um, and you see a lot of young guys out there, either when you're training with other young kids or helping them out. Um, do you see more, especially in a, in a world of the long snappers and specialists like us, do you see that a long snapper really takes on that one path? And then, and because of the rankings camps and because of the college camps and because of all the things that go on, how hard do you think it is for a, for a young man or woman in their respective sport to be a, a single throng uh, athlete that can, you know, do a, a multiple, multiple jobs in multiple different sports. I think it's more common now. Like a lot of these kids that these kids are starting to pick this one sport, maybe a little early in my opinion, like they start in middle school to pick that one sport. Yeah. I think the best way to do it is play all three sports until, at least right. until you really like really know until you're like you're not fully developed when you're 16 but like you're really showing one sign or the other sure that, that might be a good time to pick one if you're going to pick one um so i think i mean i i think playing as many sports as you possibly can and the guy a lot of the guys coming up now a lot of the guys in the nfl especially in long snapping that a lot of them played you know different positions even in college, they went to a lot of smaller college linebackers or tight ends. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, you got most kickers played soccer growing up and yep. perfected that. Punters, it seems like, I don't know, it seems like a lot of guys just, like, played football, too. Like, not as many soccer guys as, obviously, the kicking side, but. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, I talked to Justin Snow many years ago. We were talking at a – we were at an NFL combine together. And you know, I said, no, how did you get involved in long snapping? He goes, well, you know, when I was at Northwestern, uh, he, I think he tore his labrum or he did something similar to that. And uh, 
he was on the sidelines and the coach said to him, he says, dude, you know, you're a big, strong kind of a guy. Why don't you become a long snapper? He's like, what the hell is that? You know, he's kind of, kind of like, why would I do that? I'm a defensive end. He goes like, nah, well, you know, if you're going to play, you should learn how to pick this up. And I mean, I think he ended up going to four Super Bowls. So, you know, uh, as we always talk about multiple paths, I also talked to Jacob Skulls. Do you remember Jacob? Was he in your, he was probably a little ahead of you. Um, Jake Skull, he was, uh, yeah. class, he was class, of, he's probably 20, about 2010. 60, I think he's six, four or six years older than me. Five yeah, or six I think 2010, 2012, something like that. But I remember, um, he graduated with our daughter. I remember asking him that day when he was not going to sign with Georgia Tech to play football and he was going to go play for Arizona, the Diamondbacks. I said to him, you know, Jake, how come you're not going to go to Georgia Tech and play football? And he says, you know, Coach Nolan, um, for the better part of all my life as a young athlete, I played three sports. And you know what? Even though I was good in all three of those sports, and he was, you know, he was pretty talented in all three phases of the sports he played. He, he said to me, you know what? I wanted to focus on one sport because I just never had time to relax. I was moving from one sport to another sport to another sport. And I was constantly on that wheel, you know, like the treadmill, you know, of being like the hamster on the wheel, never getting off it. And that was his journey. That was why he said, Hey, look, I'm going to try to do just one, you know, this one sport. And, uh, you know, he did for a while. So um, what was, what was the, the most favorite part of, and I'll call it a job, you know, and then the least favorite part of your job when you were a student athlete, both at BT at Blessed Trinity and then at the University of Alabama. I think my favorite part was just, you know, all the perks of the food, especially in college. Like the food was great. Um, the clothes were great. The, uh, sure. But also like the education help, like everything. There was always somebody that was helped. Usually like the advisors were great. Uh, free tutoring for everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, being on a good team was always fun too. And like sure, that helps. Football. That helps. And then also, also being in the locker rooms, the best part. And like, right when you step on campus, you automatically have like 40 friends that all you guys all just started together. And, you know, in a normal college setting, you don't have that. You got to meet people in class or do whatever, but like immediately you have people that you can relate to. You have people you can walk to class with. So that was my favorite part. Okay. Uh, yeah, my least favorite part. I mean, I guess maybe living the a little bit different of a lifestyle. You know, having to get up at you know five thirty on a Monday. Or uh, I was actually telling somebody yesterday, like winter conditioning. You know, Friday afternoon in February, like everybody gets off class at you know twelve and they're you know free for the weekend, and we had to go run for an hour at four p.m. on a Friday, like. There's never just a moment to breathe, I'd say. Not many. And then yeah. that, that, and then also, you know, not being able to come home for most holidays, like Christmas, a lot, missed a lot of Christmases, missed a lot of summers. So, yeah. Well, it is a job. I mean, you know, that's why yeah. I, I kind of use the word job as, uh, as what you had to do. I mean, I know the NCAA did a year study a couple of years ago uh, where, the uh, the hierarchy of the NCAA said, you know, here's the problem with a lot of the student athletes. You know, they're not used to doing a, in, say, football. It's a 42 to 45 hour a week job. 
you know, mm-hmm. just the football side of the house, right? And then when you add all the other things associated with, you know, sporting, you know, the 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 specialists that what they do, you know, the team meetings, the individual meetings, the position coach meetings, you know, meeting with the, the compliance officers, all those sort of things, they do have a tendency to wear on you. But, you know, then on the flip side of the house, when you're a scholarship student athlete, you know, sometimes par- people are like, ah, oh, well, you know, he's a student athlete. What the heck? He's wrong. You know, what's wrong with him? Right. So mm-hmm. it is a balance, I guess. So what you're saying is that you have to be able to have these kids know that even though it's a job, there's the good part of the job and the bad part of the job. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, there's multiple great parts. And especially, you know, once you get to that level, <clears throat> like there's a reason that you're at that level. And you, I'd say probably out of the guys I've played with, 95% of them understood and could finish through college. There wasn't many that, you know, quit once they got to college. Yeah. You know? Right. So. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, quitting Alabama is, is not the same as quitting at like, I don't, I don't want to make any comments on any other schools, but you know, it's a lot easier to, to quit a, to quit a job when you're 0 and 10 mm-hmm. than it is when you're 10 and 0. Right. You Especially know, at first- you're at- all school that nobody none that you don't know anybody there's nobody nothing happening all your friends are at the bigger school yeah sure so what's what's one area that you know experts in the long snapping field that you might disagree with uh on the training and strength conditioning side and 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 how you look at this situation and mainly its effects on them as athletes especially Mm -hmm. the specialists it's a good one um, I think a lot of emphasis right now is placed on snap speed. A lot of it that you have these kids, and I was just talking to um a couple of kickers this morning about it. You know, a lot of these kids, they're 145 pounds learning how to long snap, and then so they're taught to you know look with their head up and then come through all the way, and then but then that brings their butt up just because they're taught that I guess they're never going to snap it faster unless they do that which these kids are obviously going to grow bigger, stronger. I think they should just focus on their form and focus on getting the ball to where it needs to be because you put a ball on the hip at a .78, that's still better than a .64 that's consistently all over the place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I appreciate that more, like the operation. Like it's better to be more predictable than it is to be wild. And try to throw it harder. Yeah, I, I, that's very true, Scott. You know, and you know, I remember there was one time when you walked up. I think you uh, gave a high snap to MC to our son Mark Christopher in one game, and, and I, I think he was um, he was kind of adamant that you shouldn't do that again uh, in a high pressure game. So, yeah. um, but you know, to your point, when <laughs> when we as uh, specialists don't have the feel and me being a punter, right? If I'm a punter and I don't trust my long snappers going to be able to put that ball on my right hip or left hip and I'm all over the place, it kind of messes me up as, mm-hmm. as a punter. Same thing with a holder. If I, if I'm holding and I don't know where the snap's going to come from, my operation time gets off. So as mm-hmm. you know, that's a very, very important thing. Uh, and as, as you rightly pointed out, you know, the kid's 145 pounds. He's going to grow probably to 190, 200, 205. And that actually affects how we snap as well as we get bigger, faster, stronger, all those kind of things. So um, when you do that no-look snap, you're, you know, the butt tends to come up 
and when the butt comes up, your whole body follows through a little harder, a little farther, and the ball just shoots up in the air. So that's the that's the hard part about the no look snap. Yeah, yeah. And now, and and here's a question: How important is the no look snap when in high school, you know, and basically and in college, we don't get we can't get blocked as a long snapper. So why don't we just use the look snap as opposed to the no look snap as as much more? I mean, that's not the issue. Well, actually, if you look snap, it's easier to block um, just because you can get your head up instead of coming through and then up. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think, I think coaches, I think coaches are starting to lean kids. The the real coaches are trying to start lean kids who look snapping, especially when like the cadence might be the PP lifting his leg or the punter might offset. Like you got to look through your legs for that. Correct. Um, or else something's gonna bad gonna happen. So correct. Okay. Are there are there of course many different focuses on things and procedures and how the areas of athletes, especially as a long snapper, both in the physical and mental side of the game. And and is there one that you used to focus on over the others? Like for instance, did you look in game preparation? Did you look more at at the physical part of the game you're involved with or the mental part of the game and the job you had to do, how did you work through that both in season and then out of season? I mean, it's all mental um, for sure. You know, especially long time, you might get 12 reps, 15 reps a game at most four, 14, 15. So like not many. Um, so a lot of the training is, you know, snap, like in practice during the week, it'd be like, you know, snap, take 20, like take a while off, just keep snapping every now and then don't hit all your training within a 30 minute span. And so it's really trying to prolong what you're doing and see if you can just stay consistent with that long. So I think that's how I used to get ready for games was just by um, taking my time with everything and, you know, watching, like, especially when you're snapping with other guys and kicking with other guys, watching other guys do it. Then you get down, you take a couple, and then you just, you know, take your time with it. And I think that's the great thing, I, you know, when, when I was in high school, when we would train on those Sundays where we'd be out there for two hours because yeah. there's a bunch of guys. But yeah. you're training your body to stay loose for two hours. Yeah. Like, really, I mean, no, I mean, we don't have – we don't always have four hours to burn like a normal game. But having your body stay warm for two hours is – you know, that's a trick. And so, and a lot of that's mental too. So that's kind of how I, you know, got used to it. Okay. Yeah. I know we used to do a couple of times when I know we had you out with, it was me and you and Colin Barber and uh, Mark Christopher and a couple other guys. Remember those days back just snapping for, uh, you know, a good solid hour, hour and a half, just, you know, running, running those kind of uh, short kind of lessons was always fun to do. So, um, you know, here's a question for you. If you had the attention of the whole athletic youth and high school sports role for five minutes, and especially from a long snapper standpoint, what what would you say to them? I would say I'd say that sports will take you farther in life than your peers. And I think 90% of being successful in sports is showing up every day. Mm -hmm. and, and then by doing that, that's how you're going to figure out your niche. And then once you figure like, 
long snapping is just to me that was the most creative way to get to where I wanted to be. And for other guys that could be pitching or golf or something, you don't have to be the biggest and strongest to like get to where you want to be. And also sports will open a lot of doors for you that would not have opened previously. You know, I think sports, I know for me and I know for, you know, every other guy, it has um, definitely put them, it's helped them cut the line in a lot of situations in their professional life afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And I just was uh, on a podcast the other day with another group of, uh, uh, of a young lady uh, who's a psychologist and, uh, a guy who's a soccer coach. And we were talking about when I used to hire people as a CEO of the company, you know, as salespeople, I'd always ask the question when like ever if a recruiter gave me somebody interview at the last part, my, one of my first questions would be like, okay, well, did you ever play any sports in high school? And the person was like, nah, I was really kind of a loner or I really didn't, you know, play sports. And I say, okay, we well, like you in a band. Were you in the chess club, drama club? Did you act? In? And if they were like, no, no, I pretty much stayed by myself. I typically didn't hire those people because, you know, you have to come from an environment, especially if you're working in a group of people, like a team, you have to all experience that team effort. You always have to experience the wins and losses in sales or wins and losses on the football field or the baseball diamond or the soccer pitch or whatever it is, whatever sport you're playing. Mm. And I think that's always been one of my criteria when you're dealing with people is understanding how important sports and youth sports plays in molding people as they get older. So, um, so, so yeah, you see like a lot of, um, you know, as I've started this like young professional journey that I'm on now, it's a lot of the, I think the two biggest issues you see in today's workforce is a lot of people lack adaptability and can't, you know, switch on the fly. And a lot of people lack discipline and, you know, sports, that's the two biggest things that sports teaches. It so it does. Um, so speaking of that, if, if you had a, like a gigantic billboard anywhere, in Nashville or in Atlanta with anything on it, metaphorically speaking and getting a message to millions, you know, even billions of folks, what would it say and why? I think you would just say, just go for it, you know, because, and I mean, I'll be, you know, I'll give you my example. Like throughout high school, you know, everybody made fun of me for the long snapping thing. Everybody up until my senior year, like, towards probably February of my senior year, everybody, just always. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things that I just, I couldn't talk about with anybody. And because, you know, everybody would just, you know, chirp me and make fun of whatever. And uh, and if I listened to them and, you know, oh, long snap, oh, just a long snapper, long snapping's dumb, whatever. Like, oh, hey, go snap this. Like one of those things. Then one, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And two, you don't know where you'll be you would be if you gave up so you might as well just keep going for it you don't have to talk about it mm-hmm. because a lot of energy it's it's very deterring but um yeah just go for it yeah so just just don't listen to the noise you know no. uh, sometimes that sometimes that noise uh and quite honestly scott sometimes that noise uh, of those people uh is not good for you 
but it feeds them. It feeds mm -hmm. their negativity because they may see that you have an opportunity to go someplace that they're not going to be able to see. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's one of those old adages is that just don't listen to the noise of the people you're going against because they have their own agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, are there any quotes uh, that you think about often or live by uh, your life by, or even having your current job that inspires you? Yeah. Um, Clay Travis said on the, uh, the Megan Kelly podcast, this is what has probably stuck with me the most is that if you just show up every single time, you've already beaten 90% of your competition. So that's yeah. something that, you know, you don't feel like going to the gym or you don't feel like, like I, right now I'm working alcohol sales. If I just, you know, if I don't feel like going to, you know, build this display today and maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Well then maybe the competition's in the store or maybe the competition's not in the store. And then that's my chance to get in front, you know? So if you just continue to show up and also just the art, there's something called the art of showing up where like they, te they tell you, you know, if you don't want to go to the gym, like somebody that doesn't go to the gym, they want to start working out. The artist showing up is show up to the gym, just sit there for five minutes and leave for two weeks. Because eventually after those two weeks, if you just keep showing up, eventually you're going to do something at that gym. And then you're going to, and as long as you just keep showing up, you don't have to do anything, but you're going to eventually start doing something. Mm. You won't be able to help it. So that's the artist showing up is probably the most important thing to me. Okay. And it's funny because Tyler Newsom and I were talking about that. You know, we were talking about lifting uh, in the gym. And one of the things that Tyler said was, you know, the gym doesn't lie. You know, mm -hmm. the results from the gym doesn't lie. Now, if mm -hmm. you just, you know, to your point of view, you just show up at the gym with your sweatbands on your head and your headbands and you stand there and drink, you know, six pump latte mocha stirred coffee at the, at the gym bar for two hours and then go home and tell your, your sniffing and other, oh yeah, I, I was at the gym for two hours today. Okay. Well, yeah, you were at the gym for two hours, but did you actually do anything at the gym? Mm -hmm. Besides just sit there and flap your, you know, flap your gums, as they say. So, uh, well, you can't brag. I mean, the art, the art of showing up is not something that you brag about. It's just something that it gets the gears turning. And gets yeah. No. Yeah, I get you. Right I got you. And, yeah. I mean, I think his, I think Travis's point is, you know, if you don't show up, mm -hmm. you know, it's you're going to have a 90% chance of not having any positive experience from that, you know, mm -hmm. and showing up might be just, Hey, by the way, I'm not, I'm not here kicking by myself or snapping by myself. I mean, that's one of the things we talk about as specialists is that, mm -hmm. you know, we typically are, I used to call ourselves the Maytag repairman. And now you probably don't know what that means, but you know, back in the seventies, it was a guy who was on a commercial and the, the Maytag washer and dryers and appliances were, were so uh, well done that mm -hmm. the Maytag repairman would sit by himself lonely waiting for a call to come because it never broke down. And, you know, I'm sure you can remember countless times, Scott, where you went out just to a field, whether it was over at Roswell area park or at BT or someplace else, university of Alabama, or even at Vanderbilt where you just walked outside and just started snapping by yourself. Uh, oh yeah. Or, or I mean, you know, obviously, you know, my parents, so like this story won't surprise <laughs> right. me. But one year, I think it was my freshman year for Christmas. Like I was only probably six months into lawn snapping. They, uh, we have this uh, porch in our backyard. Yeah. And underneath it's like our, where our basement is and like concrete, whatever. 
uh, we so they cleared out the concrete, put outdoor carpet, painted it with like spray paint, and it was literally fourteen and a half yards. And so I put my <laughs> Rubio net on one end, and I would snap every, and I'd come home every day and snap to it. So, yeah, for an hour, hour and a half, whatever. So I remember those days. Yeah, but like, again, it, you were showing up, right? You were. That was a thing you had to do, and it's and it's funny how God works, right? I mean, all of a sudden, the area you were at was fourteen and a half yards. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah, and it was also the only activity that my parents would let me do before I did like my homework. They was like, yeah, they'd be like, go, yeah, you can go snap because it would get dark. So that's all. That's awesome. That's my way of getting out of homework too. So. That's a, that's a, that's exactly yeah. No kidding. Uh, so we got a couple of questions left, Scott, for you. What is, what is one unusual habit, you know, really what you might, some people like to say an absurd thing that you do or used to do uh, in high school or in college, or even when you went to the free agent camps, the NFL free agent camps that you loved that might help those listening here today to drive them uh, to success. A weird habit. Um, could be unusual. And that'd be weird. I mean, could be. No, just- un- have it i would i remember you know you get these like nerves before games and this started when i was at alabama and i did it throughout college and i still do it like when i go to these camps like you know you say your prayer um when you're sitting in the locker room and then it's just that moment when it's quiet in the locker room and you're like your stomach's turning everything's going bad I would, there's like a certain song that I would just sing to myself over and over again. It's just like a very upbeat rhythm song about nothing, like about nothing to do with football, nothing to do with anything. And um, I would literally just like whisper it to myself and it would put me in like, I still think about it and it puts me in a you know a great mood. And everybody else probably had their own little things. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I wore the same, I wore the same socks all the time. You know, yeah. Thank, thankfully, my mother made sure I washed them because she got on my case. You know, for yeah. You know, and when they yeah. stood up, when the socks stood up by myself in the corner, uh, you know, she's like, "It's time to get those uh, socks washed or get a new pair." Um, so you know, we we look at the word failure in a lot of different ways. Um, mm-hmm. Some people say that failure is a negative. Some people say failure is a positive. So, from the word failure or an apparent failure. Um, how did that how did that set you up for you know later success? And do you have a favorite you know, failure of yours that you want to share with us? I mean, I think failure is the most important thing that could happen. There's you know, you can either fail forward or fail backwards. And if you fell forward, then you didn't really fail. Um so you know, failure is the biggest lesson that anybody could learn. It leads to more lessons and um, it helps more than success ever probably will. Um, the time when I failed, I wouldn't even say it was a time that I failed. It was, I'll give you an example of somebody else failing. Um, okay. My first game at Alabama, it was uh, Alabama versus Florida State. And it was the number one versus number three. And this is the first game I'm starting. It's in Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta, you know, where I'm from. Right. So freaking out, um, you know, Jimbo Fisher and them. And, uh, you know, first snap I get, it was a good snap, but I was freaking out. Laces back um, just because I just didn't snap the same ball. And, I, you know, I come off the field 
and oh, Andy missed the kick. And I was like, I felt just so dejected. And, uh, you know, JK, Scott, our punter at the yeah, time, come, yeah, to me, yeah. he goes, um, he's like, you know, we don't define – we don't define how we do by our stats. We don't care about stats. I'm like, okay. And then next punt goes out. He shanks a 10-yard punt. And he comes off the field. And, you know, obviously, you know, 10-yard punt. This is his senior year. So, you know, he's in, he's in the NFL right now. So, this was like an important season for him. National TV, Ray Guy mm-hmm. Award watch list. All those and things. he looks at me. he looks at me and he goes, see, we don't care about stats. And then he went out and just had the greatest year. And so, and then once, but once that shank happened, it caught cal- everything calmed me down and ended up having a great game after that. And, um, you know, it was a great year after that. And that was probably the big, one of the bigger life lessons when it comes to football that I learned yeah. in college. And luckily right. after my first snap and it wasn't, you know, a couple years down the road. And, you know, and, and that's a great lesson because that's, you know, that's part of, you know, what uh, we've always, I know JK is a very big Christian guy from a God's plan standpoint. So it's funny how JK saying that was probably God's plan to tell you, hey, you know, now you can chill out because look at this guy over here just got done doing right and didn't bother him. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, here's a question on, you know, pre and then, you know, post COVID and some of the things that we see right now in, you know, in the past five years, uh, one new belief uh, or behavior or even a, a habit uh, on what you think high school athletes and their parents will need to focus on since this is something that really affects all of us nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, with the pre-COVID stuff, there was also no transfer portal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Stuff there is. And so, I think these kids just need to focus on, I mean, it, honestly, it puts more of an emphasis because, you know, these long snappers aren't getting the NIL that these other players are getting, even though the transfer portal, they're still getting transfers. So I think the most important thing is finding the school for them. Um, and that might not be, that might be Georgia, but that might be. Um, might be Georgia that, Southern or might that be might, Georgia that State. Might, um, well, I was going to say, like, that might be Georgia. That might be coming in as a walk-on. But, like, being able to accept the walk-on part or maybe the in-state walk-on part. Um, because, like, these D1 scholarships out of high school, Power 5, SEC or whatever, those aren't going to happen, I don't think, anymore for for long snappers. That, you know, yeah. kicker punter different. But for long snappers, not going to happen. Because they're just going to be able to scholarship that transfer. But you go in and you prove yourself for a year as the backup at whatever school you want to. Then that's how you earn. You got to earn the coach's trust. But the only way you're going to be able to is by being in the building. I don't think. And you know, previously, they would scholarship the long snapper out of high school. And I know a lot of situations where the long snapper out of high school didn't work out. And right. now right. they they don't need to take the risk. They can scholarship a transfer kid. But when that transfer kid's playing, at least that's why you get five years now, or you've always get five years. But like, you sit for a year or two. And you get your three years, you get put on scholarship, great. Um, so I think the biggest thing that guys need to focus on now is fighting the school for them. And, you know, when I was going through this, I remember I had a couple of D1AA, like full scholarships, 
I had the military academies and then I had, you know, a bunch of prefer handful of preferred walk-ons at mm-hmm. these schools. And I remember going on a D one AA official visit and I was debating, do I want to go, you know, never pay for college or do I want to just give this thing a try in the SEC? And I mean, even my head coach, he'll, you know, he'll tell you today that in high school that um, he thought it was the dumbest decision, you know, that could be made it was me going to walk on at a school. And, um, you know, you got to, I remember just thinking back, you know, why did I start long snapping? It wasn't, it wasn't to go play Division One AA. It was to try to go play the college football that I grew up watching on TV. So that's why I made my decision. And I think that's what, especially now with today's climate, is what kids need to focus on now too. If they, if they, if everything's affordable. Right, right. I mean, it, all things being equal, as I say, right? You know, and I, I and I know what you're talking about with Coach Mack. Um, you know, because that. Every high school coach is different. There's high school coaches that will will say, "Hey, I know when uh, Mark Christopher had an opportunity, got an early offer for for Auburn, you know, and it, it came down between a PWO and a scholarship. They were like, well, and the special teams coach, you may remember him, Scott Fountain, had been at BT a couple of times. And uh, next thing you know, McFarland says, oh, they're offering you a PWO. And Mark Christopher says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it. And he's like, are you kidding me? You're going to take a preferred walk on there over full ride. And he says, no, I didn't say that. I'm just saying, I'm looking at my options. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have to play those options. You know, we had a thing in our house called the PYP. We didn't have any PWOs. We had a PYP and we're telling, they were like, what's a PYP? Like we'll prefer you pay. And that's how we lived our recruiting life is like, no, mm-hmm. we're, we're coming in. Our son's a pretty highly ranked, you know, a combo guy, but he was really a punter, right, and holder. So to your point, you you found what you wanted to do. Uh, our son found his role, what he wanted to do, uh, and he's pursuing that dream. And every athlete, I think, has to make sure that they they know what that dream is mm-hmm. and make sure it's their dream and not their parents' dream. And right. that's, that's, that's one of the questions I wanted just to – really bring into the mindset of the last couple of questions is like, how would you tell, you know, the parents and the high school athletes, you know, to get into the proper mindset, not just in the conditioning and the physical side of the house, but this D one mentality or bust, how do you view that compared to, to your point, finding the best fit and the best opportunity for them to be successful at I mean, I you got to go in with an open mind on anything. I remember, I remember sitting in a study hall when I was in high school, and I recommend every single kid do this: is going on Twitter, searching in the search bar "special teams coordinator," and then follow every single college special teams coordinator that had that in their bio. And then I would look up special teams analyst, and then special teams assistant, and then met NAIA anything. Like it's crazy now where I meet you know somebody from like new hampshire and they're talking about some or iowa and they're talking about some um very small school that they went to they're like oh you probably never heard of it i was like actually i do know it like uh, Kentucky, like, like Kentucky christian university i'm like yeah i know i know KCU. <laughs> like stuff like that like um you know i said you gotta send all the emails you gotta send all the dms um and you have to 
you have to be willing to do what it takes to get to anywhere. I remember snapping for a D1 AA team in the Atlanta airport parking lot and then for to try to get a scholarship. And then I got offered the scholarship. Like it's, you got to be willing to do whatever it takes. And you have to, if you're in the, if you're in the long snapping game, it's because you want to play college football and playing college football at, you know, Kentucky Christian or, Southeastern Missouri State or Jacksonville State or Alabama or anywhere. It's you have to have an open mind whenever it comes to anything. And I will say also is that these coaches, when you get to D2, D3, and AI, they're so much more accessible anyway. And then you can always work your way to get a scholarship. My goal was, and it didn't turn out like this, but I always thought it would have been a good idea to get, you know, a D2 offer. That D2 offer, a couple D2 offers might be able to give me a D1 AA offer. A couple of those might be able to get me a D1 offer just by, you know, trying to step up that ladder. Right. So, um, and when that West Point offer came, then the Air Force offer came. Once those two happened, then the preferred walk-on started to come. So it, it did actually kind of turn out like that. But, mm-hmm. um, so I think that is another option and then you also i think these high school kids need to get creative um i remember me personally i had a website i think it's still up um where instead of sending that youtube link send the website link click the website they see your resume they see all the videos not just one video and uh they don't need to go too far to do their digging on you so right and you know we didn't focus to your point you know we didn't have a lot of focus on social media back then when I say mm-hmm. back then, my goodness gracious, I mean, I'm only going back five years. Social media compared to, you know, now compared mm-hmm. to then. And clearly when I played in 1845, we had no social media. They, the social right. media back then were our parents or we had eight millimeter film, you know, that was being done. So uh, the parents, I think from, from that regard, how how involved do you think a parent needs to be in the recruiting process from the social media standpoint, I don't think your mom and dad were on that side of the house, but um, no. did you drive that? Did you pretty much drive your social media and discussion points or did you let them, you know, quote unquote, go, well, I'm going to go into Scott's profile and I'm going to start DMing back and forth with coaches. Which 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 side of the no. fence did your mom and dad find on with you? The social media, the emails, that was on me. Um, my parents, I think, you know, my parents did a lot, um, but they stayed out of that. They stayed out. What my parents did, the only thing that I would say my parents did was they helped me get to the camps and they picked me up from the camps or they stayed at the camps. Sure. Um, everything else has, like, they put me in the position to succeed. Yeah. The kid, you know, on the field and off the field, the kid's got to put in the work. If the kid wants to go to college for a long time, he's got to do it because if the kid, you know, if the coach has secretly been messaging the, the parents, well, then when that kid gets on campus, he's going to quit right away because – or something's going to happen or they're going to have friction because that that just doesn't jive well. If the kid can't send out social media or the kid can't send out emails, the kid's not going to be able to show up be it, to show up for these 6 a.m. workouts consistently. Yeah, and, and, and you're right. And, you know, the issue with that, of course, as you know, is – when when you're trying to get a job like that, 
you know, it, it's got to come from that, that child or that, that athlete that they want to be there. They have to show up to your point. When you say you had showing up as 9% of the time, I think that that also comes down to showing up on social media uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, we don't want to have, and I think that's the role of you seeing a lot more Scott than the non the non-staff, non-support, just the support staff members who are now, you know, the the QCs, the quality control people, and the GAs. I mean, they're they're twenty-something adults, and they know what a DM or a, a tweet from a a seventeen-year-old kid looks like compared to a you know forty-seven-year-old mm-hmm. parent. Uh, so, and I'm sure you would agree with that. Is that you? They you you've got to let them drive some aspect of it and, and help them out. I will say, though, yeah, some of these kids, I mean, a couple of these kids send me these messages that they're sending the coaches to ask to proofread, and it's like they're speaking another language. So that's <laughs> in the college, but <laughs> um, so maybe there is like a little, hey, can you proofread this? Yeah, uh, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I, I had one parent I was talking to about that, and I said, you know, one thing that one thing that 17-year-old kids don't do is put semicolons in their tweets. You know, yeah, parents do. But not to make 17 year olds, you know, I don't know. Maybe MC probably might be one of those few that would do that. Uh, I see these kids that use the wrong there and the wrong your and stuff. Right, and like, hey, right. well, we got to figure that one out. Right, exactly. And, and, and especially they say, you know, yeah, I'm an English honors major. Really? Okay, good. Okay, well, maybe you might want to look at that your word and there. And yeah. um, so, last one or two questions. You did a lot of conditioning when you got to Alabama. Would you agree with that? You went from being yeah. 100 and maybe 95 or 190 when you got there to trying to get to maybe 230, 235. What was that like when you got there when you know you got to the coaching staff and you were there, you showed up at school and let's say you showed up at a you know 195 or 200 pounds. What were their expectations yeah. that those coaches had of you? to try to get on the field as a long snapper? And what did you have to do about that from a conditioning standpoint? Yeah, so well, when I came in, I was um, – I remember exactly my first day I weighed like two, 213, 214. Okay. And we ran a pro-style punt, so, you know, a lot of blocking involved. And mm-hmm. so I needed uh, at least 225 in that first year. Um, so just a lot of – like just a lot of eating – a lot of because the workouts were you know happening regardless the running was happening regardless the lifting was happening regardless so it was a lot of eating and um just trying to consume and i will say the one thing that i wish i knew more about when i was in college and this is what i recommend for any kid is learning about nutrition mm-hmm. is the most important thing that i believe that you could do when you get to college learning about your macros learning about your calories learn everything um, but yeah, the, I mean, the weight just kind of, you know, you live by yourself that freshman year with the roommates, but like away from home and you get this food that the football team's getting, you can eat four or five t- times a day easily. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really hard. It's not hard. At least it was never hard for me to put on the weight. Um, so that wasn't the hardest part. The, the workouts were definitely different, but. Oh yeah, I'm sure the workouts from BT or, you know, your prior experience going from there to going to Alabama, but but it's a different workout because you're you're at the University of Alabama now. It's like you know when I went to Notre Dame, we 
I mean, my workouts in high school are completely different than they were in college. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, again, that was a hundred years ago. Uh, so the, did you do any more like more FMS kind of stuff or stretching or yoga or mental techniques? Uh, because that yeah, was, uh, was conditioning. Oh, yeah. conditioning. I experienced, uh, or we experimented all that. We, uh, JK was obsessed with uh, Pilates. So, you know, he was on Pilates before mm-hmm. Pilates big. And so on the, we were on the Pilates machines every day. Um, we had this partnership with this meditation, mental health app. So I would, I remember meditating every single day for like two years, um, using that app. So a lot of that, just to clear the mind and focus on your breath and focus on your present moment. Those were important things to me for sure. Okay. You know, it's funny you mentioned the nutrition side of the house because um, we released myself and my, uh, one of my best friends, his name is Al Vaughn. Al is the only nine time Mr. Universe uh, champion, bodybuilding champion. And he and I uh, developed a couple of years ago, we started it, but we've really been building it up to where it is now. It's a framework. So we came up with two frameworks. One was a strength conditioning weight training program, a two and four week, you know, short sided one for, for high school athletes. And the second one, which we got a lot of attention on was the nutritional side of the house. So mm-hmm. we came up with the nutritional side because I think a lot of these, sadly, a lot of the young kids wouldn't know how to eat. They either show up at a McDonald's or they show up, you know, eating, um, you know, chicken for 17 years, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and they don't gain the weight. They don't have the 35 to 3,600 calories you should be taking in. They don't eat a lot in breakfast or lunch or dinner. So they don't feed the beast. And, you know, I really had a kid just show up to, to train with me two weeks ago. Uh, and he was literally on empty. He had no gas. So I said, do we have a breakfast? Nothing. Okay, good. So I knew it was going to be the first 10 minutes was going to be okay. But Scott, the main remaining hour of our lesson was just ugly uh, because he didn't have the proper fuel in his tank. And I kept on saying to him, like, you know, when you get in your car in the morning, if this shows E for empty, how do you, how far do you think you're going to get down the, down the road before you conk out? I said, same thing here. If you're not feeding your body, and you're not mentally and physically prepared, even for practice lessons, you know, you're going to fail. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think to your point is, I mean, I'll, and if you want me to, I'll send you a copy of, of, of both those guides um, for you, like their PDFs, if you like. Um, so as we move down, Scott, last question is going back to the conditioning standpoint. Uh, when you were in high school, we had some great coaches in the in the weight room, and we probably had some not so great coaches in the weight room, or maybe you all, you had all great coaches in the weight room. I don't know, but um, did you see a difference from high school strength conditioning, weight training, and proper lifting techniques from high school to college, or were they kind of the same? It was just completely different. Like at Alabama, we were more about like our strength coach didn't believe in bench press. Like that's just not, it doesn't get you stronger. So what we did instead, we did like block bench press where like the weight's not real. Like they'll keep their hand on the bar. It's really for confidence. Like put 365 on the bar and do block bench with the hands on the bar. Like you're not going to fail. That was all about confidence. A lot of our workouts when I was in college at Alabama was full body it was three days a week full body hour and a half hour 15 minutes and it was to the point you'd never stop you want to like throw up um 
And then when you're, you know, when we were in high school, we had good blocks and everything, like good training blocks. It was more like what you do now, typically, where it's like uh, like two supersets or two things and then two things and two things. Um, so, like, the workouts were good in high school. I just – what also I liked about college more compared to high school, especially when you're the high school age, is, like, they want you to write down your high school, like your weight numbers, like how much you're lifting on everything. Mm-hmm. And I get wanting to see the process or the how everybody progresses, but there's a certain level of insecurity when you're a junior in high school or a sophomore in high school. It's one yeah, thing to see yeah. the kid working out, but it's another to see the kid's numbers and you know the kid next to him who might be two years younger than him might be lifting more than him. Like there's a certain, and then these kids want to load up the bar. They have awful technique. And I just remember that happened a lot in high school. But when you're in college, nobody cares what you're putting up. Correct. Because so that was also a big difference for me. Okay. Just so that that was more of a security blanket. I mean, from high school, you know, how we lift in high school compared to how we lift in college. You're right. If you're if you're the long snapper in high school and you're a freshman, you weigh 115 pounds and you're all of a sudden you're a senior two different people and that senior is, you know, six, one, two forty-five. that can be a little pressing for the younger person there. So I, I guess your encouragement would be, Hey, don't worry about those guys. You know, you've got to start somewhere. You have to have a baseline of mm-hmm. your expertise based on your weight level and your ability. Um, and I think that's what a lot, a lot of times they, they shy away from, especially the younger kids. And to your point, you know, some of the long snappers, kickers and punters, you know, we get talked a lot differently to uh, as compared to Joe Blow, the lineman or, you know, Sammy, the quarterback or Jimmy, the goalkeeper. Right. So yeah. um, what, so as we come down to the end of this conversation, Scott, what is one final thought uh, that you want to leave our listeners with today, especially in the class of, of 2024, the ones who are signing relatively soon as mm-hmm. it approaches and with the new recruiting year, and then as the season gets longer, what would you tell them from your journey as a high school young man to college and now a guy that's in the professional ranks? First off, I would, I guess, tell these kids, um, it'll no matter the number one thing that I tell every kid that always reaches out, to me about wanting to find a school and you know who you're talking to and they'll list off 15 schools and they're like well he stopped talking to me 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 well sometimes he talks to me and then there's times where oh the coach stops responding Mm -hmm. we're getting close to february stuff like people just like their minds start blowing up what everybody loses sight of and it's the same thing with finding a girlfriend or a wife or what a job, whatever, is that no matter how many schools you talk to or don't talk to, everybody's going to end up at the same amount of schools their freshman year, which is one. Right. Every, right. There's only like they lose sight. They're like, oh, well, I want six offers. Why? Why? You it's want not like Baskin like Robbins, you know, you can't no. all of a sudden like put four different layers of scholarships on you. You can only have one. Yeah. You, yeah, you might see like these kids might see the number one kid in the class might get an offer from Michigan and Ohio State and 
uh, Auburn. And they're like, okay, well, you just saw three schools that are looking for a long snapper. Go reach out to them. Not, oh, he has these three offers. Well, they're not all three going to take that kid. (laughs) That's the number one um, thing that I think these kids, especially now, lose sight of. And, I mean, I'm not going to say that because I even I lost sight of that. And you don't realize it until you get to college. You're like, oh, wait. And luckily, I mean, I guess I went through the recruiting process twice. So um, the second time around was a lot easier. Um, But, yeah, that's what I would leave them with. And then what was the second part of your question? Uh, just just what would you do from the signing class standpoint? You know, how would you handle them going through the recruiting process from when your journey was compared to what they're going through? Because now we do know how the transfer portal. We do yeah. have, you know, NIL, which NIL is not as much, but the transfer portal. So it, it's almost, Scott, I would, I, I would, I, I akin the transfer portal to being very similar to the Aussies. You know, when the Aussie punters started coming over at 24 and 25 years old, you know, we had that back in the 70s. We had um, we had college soccer players coming in from Brazil and Ireland and Wales and Scotland and everything else, you know, going to JUCOs. And then it was funny how those JUCOs moved into Coach Jones would say, like, hey, I don't have, I don't have an offer for you right now, but there's a JUCO right down the street. And if you go and play there for this year, and I can watch a couple of games. Maybe next year I'll have a scholarship offer for you. So how would you? How do you look at that, Scott? Again, from a just the pure understanding of the transfer portal and looking at the opportunities, because you're right, it it changes every fifteen or fifteen or twenty minutes. It seems like right now. Um, I think one we're in unprecedented times. We don't know what's going to happen. Um. And then two, you know, the number one thing I would tell the kids, especially in this class, what is it, January right now? Yeah. You know, me personally, I took a preferred walk on Alabama, and I was one of the early ones. Mine was like mid-January, late January. And I had my dream school offer me a preferred walk on in the middle of April. And like, if I, and I almost took it. I want I, I wanted to at the time to take it, but there's no such thing as timing when it comes to being a specialist. No such thing. Um, I've seen kids get full scholarships to. I saw a kid get a full scholarship to Utah at the beginning of May, like right before his graduation from high school, for that next year. So there's like for the kids in this class, there's no such thing as timing, especially with this transfer portal age where. They're going to – I mean, they these people have 30 days to enter the portal, so they have until mid-February, what, I think. And so, yeah, there's there's no such thing as time. And they're going to – obviously, they're going to pick the transfer portal kids. I would pay attention to who's getting picked up in the portal, and then I'd pay attention to who – where they came from. But if you're doing your due diligence of messaging every single school, then that's all you got to yeah. do. And I, and I think to, to close it out, Scott, you know, one of the things that we talk about and I talked about it in my, in my book was, you know, a lot of these coaches didn't start at D1. So what I try to tell these young kids is, and of course, I don't know anything. I'm an idiot compared to, you know, of course, a 17-year-old. Uh, although Mark Christopher has finally told me that when he got to be around 23, 24, he found out how brilliant I was. It took him a couple, a couple of years. Uh, so, oh. you, you, and you'll get there, right? And maybe you already have, I don't know. 
But <laughs> one of the things that we talk about is like, you know, you got to look at the roster, not only just the roster of the players, you got to look at the roster of the coaches. Where did they come from? Kirby Smart didn't just all of a sudden start at Georgia. You know, mm-hmm. Nick Saban didn't start at Alabama. You know, so, so if you start putting down these D2 or D3 offers, right, those coaches might ghost you for that reason because if you think there's only D1 mentality or bust, they've had to take their life and move on. Like, you know, you're you're doing wine sales right now. I mean, 20 years from now, you might be the CEO of the company. So your whole goal would be like, well, I didn't start out as being the CEO of the company. I had to work my way up. And just to your point, as specialists, especially in our role as specialists, you know, there's there's a thousand of them. There was 427 kids in the portal, just specialists alone last week. All right. So you're dealing with with those issues. So I guess maybe the grateful part is if you do get that preferred walk on, take it if you can get in-state offer or just take that preferred walk on wherever it is. Prove yourself, have an awesome season there, and then maybe move on to a different school if you like. But it, it just seems that a lot of the young kids I talk to nowadays, and sadly, some of the parents, they have that D1 mentality. Your goal was like, hey, this is my dream school. Okay, that's awesome. Everybody's got dream schools, right? Everybody's got, and there's kids that go to those schools who have those dreams growing up. And you fulfilled that dream, and your parents helped you along that journey. Sadly, it seems to me, Scott, uh, and this is not a rant that I'm doing, but sadly, it seems like, you know, a lot of the young kids you that you talk to right now, their dream is just the D1, as opposed to, I call it, I never use D1 anymore. I call it NL. I call it next level. You got to look at the next level, and that's what your focus should be. If you focus on the only thing in the D1, you're going to miss out on the, you know, there's 858 colleges, universities, they play football in the United States. So, you know, every kid, when I first start talking to them, I'll say to them, give me a list of your top five schools. Every one of them. Oh, Notre Dame, Michigan, Alabama. I'm like, okay, dude, you're, you're five foot four. Um, your dad was, your dad's five, six, your mom's five foot two. You're probably not going to be punting at the university of Alabama, you know, not anytime mm-hmm. soon, but that doesn't mean you can't punt someplace else. And one guy said to me, Oh, you're kind of like hurting his dreams. I was like, no, I'm, I'm just being real. I mean, if, if you know, if you don't want to be realistic with your kids, that's that's on you. I, I'm just trying to be set some realistic realistic expectations with you and your and your and your child. So, um, anything else you want to add to that before we uh, we before we call it a day? Uh I mean, I think that's it. I think just you know, when times get tough in the recruiting process, remember why you started, and because that's you know, if this is the hardest thing that you ever go through, you've had an easy life, and this is probably the first hard thing that a lot of these specialists have gone through. And, um, you know, the blessing in that is you're getting to experience life, a real life and, you know, real try, you're going to have to mature real quick. And, uh, before any of your friends probably, and that I think a lot of the lessons I learned in the recruiting process, a lot of the lessons I learned playing football, they, they helped me mature faster than, I'd say all my friends. Good. So, so you basically your 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 stance is just stick with it. You know, ninety mm-hmm. percent of it is showing up. Stick with it. Stay focused, both physically and mentally, and just look for that opportunity to come because it will come if mm-hmm. you just plan that enough, right? 
Mm-hmm. Have fun with it because you only have a few years left of it. Regardless, yeah. if you play 15 more years, you still, I mean, over half of it's done. So it doesn't matter. That's right. Right. Well, look, Scott, it has been an absolute awesome time to catch up with you again and see how you're doing. And I want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast on Donut Kick Your Coverage. Please feel free to uh, send those likes and those five or six or 10 stars out there or 50 stars. Uh, and, uh, you know, with, uh, with that, we're going to let Scott get back to his uh, wine days of taking care of business. And we hope to see everyone back in a couple of weeks on our next Don't Out Kick Your Coverage podcast. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us here today and have a great day. See you, Scott. Thanks for having me.